Good morning. Jesus said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you overshadow us with your spirit, that it might be unto us according to your word. Turn us again, O Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So today we hear the parable of Jesus, commonly known as the rich man and Lazarus, but I'm going to call it the one with the twist ending. I don't mean the twist that happens with Lazarus and the rich man between this life and the next. I'm, I'm talking about the twist in that very last line. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. It's the twist where we discover at the end that the whole parable has been about belief all along. What we believe and why we believe it and what's at stake. This is a parable about belief, but that's not how it seems at the beginning, is it? So let's walk through this story and see what we're dealing with here. Jesus tells a story, sets it up by giving perfectly parallel and diametrically opposed depictions of two men. One is rich, one is poor. He tells us what they wore. The rich man dressed in finery, he had linen undergarments and rich purple robes. One is dressed in sores. He tells us what they eat. One eats luxuriously. He has feasts, by implication. And one is starving. He desires only to have the crumbs that fall from the other's table. But it's the dogs that get those crumbs under the rich man's table, not Lazarus. And those same dogs lick Lazarus's sores. He's like a corpse to them. The only thing, in fact, that the poor man has that the rich man doesn't have is a name. Now, they have one thing in common, which is death, which is the common destiny of rich and poor alike, and so the two men die. And Lazarus goes to Abraham's side. Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish people, and this is a slightly unusual image, but it's meant to be a depiction of a good afterlife. uh, Lazarus is going to the banquet that he was denied in life. And the rich man goes to Hades, the underworld where he's in flames. And interestingly, they can see each other far away. They can even communicate, and that sets up this rest of the story. So the rich man calls out to Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to put a drop of water on my tongue. And this is a really important detail because the rich man knows Lazarus' name. It shows that he knew who this guy was in life. He can't play dumb. He knew the person who was suffering at his gate. Like if this were a movie, Abraham would be like, I never told you his name was Lazarus. It's interesting here that he is still operating, though, like a rich man. He is still saying, send Lazarus to do the thing. Do the thing for me. And Abraham says, I I can't do it. You're there because you had good things, and he's here because he had bad things, and a chasm is set between us, and it can't be crossed. We can shout across it, I guess, but we can't go across it. And what we see here is that the rich man could have comforted Lazarus in life, but he didn't. And in death, we don't know if Lazarus would comfort the rich man, but he can't. For the rich man, what's done is done. The cabin doors are now secure. The train has left the station. Time's up. And the rich man gets it. So he says, okay, okay, but my five brothers are still alive. Send Lazarus to warn them so that they don't come to the bad place. He's still ordering Lazarus around. Send Lazarus to warn them. And this, it seems, might be possible. 
Lazarus can't cross over the chasm to comfort the rich man, but it seems like maybe he could cross back into the land of the living if Abraham sent him, but Abraham's not going to do it in the story, and here's a surprise twist ending, the point of the story that makes us reinterpret everything that's happened so far. Abraham says, they've got Moses and the prophets regarding the brothers. Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. That's another way of saying they've got the Bible. They've got the history of Israel. They've got God's laws. You're worried they're going to the bad place? Let them listen to that. It's really important what's happening here, right? The rich man wants his brothers to be warned. Why warned? Because the implication is that if they live differently, they can avoid going where he's going. So they need someone to tell them what to do. And Abraham says, let them listen to the Scriptures. In other words, don't ask me to send Lazarus. They've got the warning already. It's in the book, on the shelf, gathering dust. They've got what they need to live differently. They're just not paying attention. The problem isn't a lack of information. And the rich man says, no, no. But if someone comes back from the dead, they'll listen to that. Like a book, you can take or leave it. But a ghost, you can't ignore that. And fair enough, this is like the entire plot device from A Christmas Carol, right? Marley's ghost scaring Scrooge straight. You're not going to change your life for a book, but a ghost. But, but no, here's the twist ending. It's Abraham, and I can't tell if he's coming in hot or if he's cold as ice or if he says this with a tear in his eye, but here's what he says. He says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to the word of God, then even Lazarus back from the dead is not going to convince them. Turns out, all along, this has been a parable about belief, about what we believe and why we believe it and what's at stake. It didn't seem like a parable about belief, did it, at the start? Because Jesus doesn't tell us anything about the internal life of the rich man or Lazarus, for that matter. The rich man lived the way he did, though, because he didn't believe Moses and the prophets. That's the implication here. Which means that when Jesus is showing us what the rich man did believe, how he believed, when he told us what he wore, when he told us what he ate, when he told us what he didn't do for poor Lazarus at his gate, that's all showing us what the rich man believed, what you wear, what you eat. Hasn't Jesus just a few chapters earlier, if you're familiar with the gospel, taught that these are signs of belief? If you worry about what you wear, what you eat, these are big categories for whether or not you believe in God's providence, God's care for you. Seek the kingdom of God first, Jesus says. All these things are going to be added to you. In this depiction here, in this parable, belief isn't something you have. Right? I, I've got ideas. I have a lot of ideas. I have opinions. I have a lot of opinions. You can ask my family. But belief is something you do. It's how you live. The rich man was like his brothers. He had Moses and the prophets. He had them. He had the Word of God. But he believed it wrong. Remember who Jesus is telling this story to. It's his enemies, the Pharisees. It says so back in verse 15, the Pharisees who loved money. They were sneering at Jesus because he and his followers were poor. And they thought that having money was a sign of God's approval. And here's the thing. The Pharisees knew their scriptures. They knew Moses and the prophets, the text of Moses and the prophets, backwards and forwards. They knew their Bibles better than you or I ever will. 
And when Jesus tells a story about the rich man here, what he's saying is, you Pharisees may know your scriptures, but like the rich man in the story, you're believing them wrong. You focused on all the wrong things. You've, you know, put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, all that, right? You Pharisees, you've believed the scriptures somehow that makes it okay for you to be rich while others suffer. You've forgotten. You, didn't, you missed the parts where it says God is the father of the orphan and the refuge of the poor, that God is the God of Lazarus at the gate. The rich man had Moses and the prophets, but he believed them wrong. And how do we know it was in his heart? Well, we know what he believed because Lazarus died unfed and unloved on his doorstep. Because if the rich man had believed Moses and the prophet right, he would have known that the purpose of receiving abundance is that it overflow to the blessing of others. Anglican churches aren't known for preaching much about God's judgment. Not these days, anyway. And I know, look, I know a lot of people come to Anglicanism to get away from hellfire and brimstone traditions, and fair enough, fair enough. But I worry we might have gone a little too far in shying away from this stuff because it's in here. It's in Moses and the prophets and Jesus. And as a priest, I am faithful of us being like the rich men, having the scriptures but unable to hear what they have to say because they make us feel too uncomfortable. The point of the gospel, the point of Christianity is not to make middle-class Western life a little bit more meaningful, to add a bit of purpose to lives that are already pretty good because of penicillin and public policy and pensions. The point of the gospel is that God has for all time and through all space declared God's love for God's creation. That God the Father sent God the Son to become flesh. That God is not only the Lord of the highest heavens, but shared our life and died our death. That the God who created light years of stars also became a human child, the most helpless and useless of all living things. Because a child is good for one thing and one thing only, and that is to be loved. And that fundamentally is what you and I are good for. We are to be loved. That's what Lazarus was for. Lazarus was for love. That's what Moses and the prophet said. But the rich man loved his own comfort so much that he didn't have any love left over for Lazarus. And that's why he wound up where he did. I don't think we're supposed to take this parable as a literal depiction of the afterlife. This is actually a, a fairly popular folk story, and Jesus is adapting it, making his own version for his own purposes. It's like if I told you a story about the pearly gates, you're not like, oh, he thinks there are literal pearly gates. But the basic shape of the story does matter, and it's this, that the time of this life is limited. It vanishes like a breath. <sighs> like grass in the wind, and what you decide to do with your brief time matters. And our decision will depend on what we believe. And it is all too easy simply to relax into the beer buzz of seeking our own comfort, of seeking pleasure and fleeing pain in our decisions, great and small. So can we be honest with each other? Because this story is scary as quite literally hell. 
Because Christians think what you believe is pretty important, right? There's a, there's a version of Christianity, maybe somebody has told this to you, that says it doesn't matter what you do, it's what you believe. But this parable re- reveals that version to be a parody because this parable and the consistent teaching of Jesus says that how you live is what you believe. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, where you believe, where you trust, your heart's going to follow your treasure. So you want to know where the rich man's heart was? Where any of our hearts are? Just follow the money. It turns out the parable has told us everything we need to know about the rich man's belief. Because the rich man's treasure turned out to be his own comfort. The pleasure of good clothing, fine Egyptian cotton, thread count in the billions. The pleasure of good food, farmed table, organic. And where wasn't any of his treasure? In the hands of poor Lazarus. So where was his heart? Where was his heart? And listen, where this parable gets me is because what the rich man does, it's only natural. It's only natural to want pleasure instead of pain. That's why spiritual practices like almsgiving and fasting are so important, incidentally, actually, because they train us in little ways to act against our own selfish nature, to the ways we tailor our lives around our own pleasures. And what's scary about our natural tendency to pursue pleasure in all its forms, physical, emotional, as the Scripture says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, from a hit of heroin to seeing your name on the side of a new hospital wing, is that our natural desire to feel good instead of bad can deafen us to the voice of Scripture. Can he keep us from hearing Moses and the prophets and Jesus and the voice of the Holy Spirit breathing through every word of God, the word that calls us out of ourselves, out of ourselves to love our neighbor and into the white, hot heart of God? If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that a kick in the teeth? Because, of course, Jesus raised his friend, also named Lazarus, a real person, from the dead, and his enemies still hated him. And God raised Jesus from the dead, and they still weren't convinced. It's like that joke. I'd say stop me if you hear it, if you'd heard it, but don't. Uh, it's like that joke where guys got a house on a floodplain, and the rains are coming, and a guy in a car drives up. He says, listen, man, you're going to drown. You've got to get out of here. Come on. And he's like, no, I'm good. I, I trust Jesus. He's going to save me. And then uh, the floodwaters rise. He goes to a second floor, and a guy in a canoe comes by. He says, listen, man, get in. You're going to die. And he says, no, no, I trust Jesus. He's going to save me. And then uh, he finally is driven up to his roof, and a guy in a helicopter comes by. He says, listen, man, get in. You're going to die. And he says, no, no, I trust Jesus. He's going to save me. And then he dies. And he goes, and, and in the afterlife, he goes and he meets Jesus. And he's like, where were you? And Jesus is like, I sent you a car and a canoe and a helicopter. What do you want from me? Stuff can get crazy. You can see some business, but in the end, we're really just going to believe what we want to believe. So if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring, if you're considering, if you're doubting, listen, I get it because that's where I was for like half my life. It's a reasonable place to be. I understand it. But let me just ask you straight. What would it look like for you to decide to want this life? to want the life where you believe and trust Jesus. Because I can tell you Jesus rose from the dead, but neither of us have seen him, and we know that. In the end, all that any of us has is the word of God and the choice whether to trust ourselves to it. 
like a trapeze artist letting go of the bar and plunging into the darkness below, hoping there's a net. And if that's you, if you're swinging white-knuckled over God's word, but you can't quite bring yourself to trust, then my prayer for you right now, like right now, because life comes at you fast, is that God will give you the courage to release yourself into divine love. So if you're ready, pray it with me. God, I am yours. God, don't let me fall. Father, catch me. And if you are a Christian, if you believe the Word, then the Word is here cautioning us, chastening us with a reminder that it's possible to have the Scriptures but not truly believe them. Because belief is not, a, belief is not about ideas you have, but about the hidden heart that's revealed by your life. And I might think a winter's ice is thick enough to bear my weight, but belief is me stepping onto the lake. So what's true belief? Well, here's what the story says. The story begins, and the rich man has everything, and Lazarus has nothing except a name. He's the only person named in any of Jesus' parables. I've called you by name, the Scripture says, and you are mine. Heaven is full of names. Hell, it seems, is anonymous. And what the story is telling us, the one with the twist ending, is that true belief in Jesus means living in a way that your name is remembered on the lips of the oppressed, and you will rise to heaven on their prayers of thanksgiving. Amen.